If you haven't already, please join me in Matthew chapter 2, familiar Christmas story for us, verses 1 through 11, our key text today. If you've got a smartphone or a tablet with you, you're going to find in the YouVersion Bible app and the events tab, um, if you search for our church, Southview, you'll find all these notes there. If you're a good old-fashioned person and you have your bulletin, you've got notes there to fill out as well, and you'll have them on the screen. I do want us to take a look at our scripture memory verse for the month. I've passed that up a couple Sundays here, but let's be reminded of what it says and say that together starting with reference. Luke 1, 31 through 33, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Luke 1, 31 through 33. Jesus, King forever. Well, as we've done through this Christmas season, I've got another story, and this one I particularly like. It's called Humphrey's First Christmas. So if you're a boy or girl and you want to come down front and read this story with me about Humphrey the camel. Oh, we've got to have Ben down here. Ben is my comic relief and anybody else that wants to join him. You coming too, Logan? Come on, man. Come on, Blue. Yeah. Come on, Nettletons. Oh, you're going to sit by me today. Okay. All right. Well, you guys can sit by me. I'll show it to you as well. It's okay. Ah, Logan's going to sit on this side. Okay, here. All right. Thanks, Blue. Blue's my buddy. So I'm going to show it to these guys, but I'll also show it to you, right? So that way. Oh, you moving in? Okay. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Whoa, oh. All right, here. Sit on this side right here so I can kind of. There we go. All right, now I got to show you guys something. Okay, here, Ben, come on, get up there. I think it's going to be hard to show the book to everybody today. So, fellas, I'm going to ask you guys to try to be a little quiet so everybody can hear me, okay? All right, all right. Now, everybody else, you might need to look at the screen today, even you kids on the floor, because I don't know that I can turn the book around with my arms around these yahoos. Yeah, let me, you're going to turn the pages for me, Ben? Hey, Logan. Okay, one more page there, guys. Oh, oh, one more. Look at what's on the ground there. Everybody needs to look very carefully at what's in the corner of the ground there. It's a green blanket. All right, now turn one more page so we can get started there, Ben. Oh, take it easy there, fellas. All right, here we go. For those of you that maybe can't read it on the screen, but uh, we're going to read it. Everybody ready to learn about Humphrey's first Christmas? Wait till I'm ready. Wait, 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 wait. Okay, thank you. It says, Beloved, most beauteous and exalted of all should be my name. Instead, they call me... Now, turn the page, Ben. Turn the page. Humphrey. This I could bear... Here, I'll get it. I'll get it. This I could bear if the worst things of all had not happened. My dearest possession, my glorious carpet blanket, has been lost along the trail... Now I am never warm and I suffer terribly. This is why I have set into motion a plan to replace 
my greatest of all treasures. All right, there you go. Thanks, Ben. I carefully nudge my nose inside the caravan master's tent. This is followed closely by the chattering of my teeth. Can you chatter your teeth, fellas? Thereby letting the master know that I am most enormously cold. Success! He has not pushed me out, and I remain hopeful that a new blanket will soon be mine. Okay, there you go, guys. Turn the page. Thank you. Three rich caravans have joined us, and they're, hey, wait, wait, I can't see, Logan, your arm's in my way. Three rich caravans have joined us, and there have been talk of kings, yet these kings bring me no joy, for they have tied three huge chests on my bare back. They are so heavy, I'm sure each one must be filled with rocks. All right, turn the page there, Logan, let go, fellas. Hey, how about I'm going to turn the page from now on, okay? Okay. Thank you, fellas. The other camels are wearing the finest of blankets. They're all comfortable and warm. Not one of them thinks about me, their cousin, in pain and misery because of the loss of my most precious carpet blanket. I cry out in sorrow. I weep. (laughs) Poor Humphrey. Do you feel sorry for Humphrey yet? Now look what he does now. He says, today I continue my plan to regain my treasured blanket. I add loud sniffling to the chattering of teeth and squeeze my entire body in the master's tent. As I do so, out rolls my master, for the tent is exactly camel-sized. I love how the master's laying there on the floor like, oh, and look at what happens. It is as I planned. As the master chases me away, he tosses me a new blanket. I have success. Ha <laughs> ha. Once more, I am covered with splendor and comfort. I am filled with delight. If it were not for the heavy chest I am forced to carry, I would almost be happy. We have followed one star for many long nights. Now our caravan enters the town of Bethlehem. Its streets and inns are crowded with travelers. My master gives no thought to my tired feet and my rumbling belly. I am forced to move on. See Humphrey right there in the picture? Yeah, he's warm. He is. He's got his blanket, so he's warm, and he's got his gigantic chest on his back, doesn't he, silly Humphrey? That, that's a chest. Yes. At last we reach the end of our journey, but I'm confused. There's no great palace, no rich oasis, no palms heavy with fruit. I see only a lowly stable with a family inside. The three kings rejoice and rush forward to bow before the young woman who cradles a baby. Finally, the chests are taken off my back and placed before this child. As each box is opened, I see no stones. I see only gold, frankincense, and myrrh. All right. Well, boys and girls, thank you for coming down to listen to me. Thanks for your assistance, fellas. Yeah. Woo, that was fun. You never know when you invite the kids. Thanks, guys. We're going to finish our story at the end of the sermon, so you have to be paying attention then as well. But the title of our sermon today, you all already read it, or you get the idea from what we've heard from Humphrey, is selfless. Selfless. So though Humphrey is imaginary, boys and girls, you know, the stories in the Bible are real. 
And Humphrey is imaginary, but he helps us tell a Bible story in a creative way to get us thinking about ourselves and how Jesus calls us to live towards other people, to be selfless, to put others first. So I want to read verses 1 and 2, and they'll be on the big screen there. In my NIV, it says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea. It may have been a couple years, probably, since the kings had left their homeland and traveled. It was probably a couple years, not right at the time like we so often portray it. During the time of King Herod, magi, so kings I said, but wise men, from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. A long time before they got there, with many months, even years, for their trip, they saw a star. Now, it tells us some things about these guys, and as adults we know this, but maybe not everybody does, that these guys knew something of prophecy, and they had read books that had said something, or they knew something about astronomy, and they knew that a new star had appeared in the sky, and not unlike our story of starlet last week, which again was imaginary, but helps us understand, they said, hey, Something's different going on here. How was it that they knew that it was located over this area? Something special or unique about the star and the way that it stayed in one place rather than moved. So they went to look. And notice what it says at the end of verse 2 there. We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. They came to worship who they didn't even know yet. Which asks a question for us, and that's the first point on your outline today. The first question is, how far have I gone in worshiping Jesus? How far have you gone in worshiping Jesus? Well, you might say, I'm here now, Aaron. Yeah, what else? Well, maybe once upon a time you had a really cool worship experience at a concert or a super big fancy church or a church that wasn't of our denomination where they said things differently and did things differently and you went, wow, and it really moved your heart to worship. But let's not get hung up on even the wise man's long and costly journey to worship. Let's think about for our church, one of our values is a worshipful lifestyle, A worshipful lifestyle means that it's not just what we do here on Sunday morning, but it's how we live our lives day in, day out, 365 days of the year. That everything we do, every minute, every day, every week, every month, every thought, every action, every word is worship. All of it is devoted to God. So I would ask you again, how far have you gone in worshiping Jesus? What about you have you given to him as a gift? What about you have you given to him as sin that needed to be confessed and done away with? What about you have you surrendered to him that he's called you to do, even though you weren't sure how it was going to get done? So we see the wise man coming from a long distance to visit Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus. But There's something they've got to do in the meantime. And that's in verses 3 and 4. As our story goes on there in verses 3 and 4, and it says, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. So I guess these guys, when they showed up, 
made a big enough stir because of their elegance, because of who they said they were, because of what other people perceived them. So the whole city of Jerusalem, a much larger city, and then it says in verse 4, for when he, King Herod, had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. So these men come and speak to Herod. Herod and others from his court speak and tell the whole city of Jerusalem. And they want to know, King Herod wants to know, where's the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, the King, going to be born? Herod, as many rulers, was jealous, was fearful. And Herod, as many rulers in that day and time, and some even today, had done some terrible things to secure his throne, and we won't even go there. He was a wicked man. And he was worried that someone else might come to try to unseat him, especially if the wise men from the east came to worship this someone else. It must be someone really special. So he wanted to know, which leads to our second question, what have I done to hinder worshiping Jesus? The wise men came to worship Jesus. They came to Herod, the king of that region, knowing that he must know something about it. And they say to him, hey, we see this star. We want to come worship this guy. And Herod's like, time out, bros. Who are you talking about? He calls together people that can tell him. And they said what we're going to find out in just a minute. But Herod's real intent was not to worship, but to hinder or to stop the worship of Jesus. His intent was, as we find out, to kill Jesus as a rival to his throne, an interloper on his power. Now, you and I aren't kings or queens, even though we might treat our children like princesses and princes. They're not royalty in the sense that Herod was. Yet, All of us have done something to hinder the worship of Jesus. We've done something in our own life through willful disobedience, ongoing sinful habits. We've done something in the lives of others by leading them astray by the things we've said and the things we've done. And we've pushed them away from Jesus rather than brought them to Jesus. So lest we get high and mighty on our moral throne and judge poor, ugly, nasty King Herod, look in the mirror, friends. We've all done something to hinder the worship of Jesus. Let's go on with our passage of Scripture. Our passage of Scripture says in verse 5, In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. In verse 6, it says, But you, they're quoting now, But you, Bethlehem in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. They're quoting from Isaiah. And they're quoting from 600 years, almost 500 some odd years before Jesus was to be born. As Isaiah, or excuse me, not Isaiah, Micah, Micah 5.2 had written it as a prophecy. And they're saying here is exactly where Jesus, the Savior, is going to come from. Hmm. Which leads to our third question. What prophecies, what prophecies are for worshiping or are true for worshiping Jesus? 
Now, if you've been in church for a while and you've paid attention, uh, even if you're a boy and girl, you've learned some things about some prophecies about Jesus. You know where it says he's going to be born and he's going to be born of a virgin and some of those big things like that. But if you were to go back and study in depth, you would find out that in the Old Testament, there are over 400 prophecies of Jesus. And scholars then say that over 300 of them have already been fulfilled, which makes all of us go, whoa, there's still some coming with the second coming. Things about who Jesus is and what Jesus will do are still yet to be seen. A reason to study the Old Testament, a reason to understand prophecy, a reason to see the Bible as a whole story. But which prophecies have you known? Well, you heard one just now that you, Bethlehem in the land of Judah, though you're least, you're going to have a shepherd of my people, Jesus. What about you? What do you know and how do you worship Jesus? We've heard about the wise man coming to worship. We've seen how Herod wanted to hinder or stop that worship because he was suspicious and fearful. We've seen about the prophecies. And now we're going to hear a little bit more about Herod's fears in verses 7 and 8. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. Apparently he had the Magi come before him previously in his court where others could observe and hear. And that's how the rumors got started and all Jerusalem was disturbed with him, as we read in verse 3. But now he has a private audience with the Magi, these wise men from the east. And he says in verse 8, He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so I may go and worship him. Now, I didn't tell you all the things Herod had previously done because I said I wasn't going to go there because it was ugly and terrible. But we get the idea that Herod is not telling the truth here, that he has other plans for Jesus, which leads to our fourth question. What fears do I have in worshiping Jesus? Herod was afraid of who Jesus was. Herod was afraid of who Jesus would become. Herod was afraid of what Jesus would mean to him. And he wanted to kill Jesus. Again, before we get high and mighty in our morality and judging Herod, what are you afraid of with Jesus? What is it that God's Word, the Bible, says that you don't want to hear or pay attention to? What is it that God's revealed to you in prayer that You don't want to do. What is it about the way that we're called to live, sharing the gospel with others that you're afraid of and that you fear? And living your life as a life of worship, a worshipful lifestyle, surrendered to Jesus that everything we think, everything we say, everything we do would be worshiped to Him. Yet we fear what that means, so we don't. In some ways, we're not unlike Herod, are we? Something within us stops us from surrendering to Jesus, from giving ourselves fully to Him, from worshiping Him, for living for Him. Verses 9, 10, and 11 go on with the story. After they, the wise men or the magi, 
had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. They had a little more to travel. How did the star stop? How did that work? I'm not quite sure, and I'm not sure even an astronomer among us could describe it because it wasn't natural. It was supernatural. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. I remember that line sung from a Christmas musical before, and of course, I will not sing it for you now. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with great joy. They rejoiced with exceeding great joy. The Bible goes to its best extent in the use of the Greek language in saying they were overjoyed. They rejoiced with exceeding great joy. As joyful as joyful could be, that's how joyful they were. In verse 11, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him, and they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts. Boys and girls, just like we heard that Humphrey was carrying, he thought it was rocks, but it was gold and frankincense and myrrh. They went so far for such a long time at such expense with so much time and so much intrigue, it leads us to a fifth and final question. Why would I be selfless in worshiping Jesus? Why is really most important question of all, isn't it? It's that question behind what we do. It's the existential question, the motivational question. Why would I be selfless in worshiping Jesus? What is it about Jesus that would cause you To obey Him, to follow Him, to give your life to Him in worship, to live a worshipful lifestyle that everything you say and everything you do and everything you think would be for Him? Why would I be selfless in worshiping Jesus? What would motivate you to obey Him, to surrender to Him? Our story from Humphrey gives us a fitting conclusion, at least as far as a children's storybook goes. And I'm going to show you the pictures here, even though, you know, you can see them there. But here's Humphrey bowing down with his beautiful red blanket, his new red blanket on his back. And it says, in this land, I've walked past many children, but never before have I felt the need to walk toward one. Now, I kneel before the baby, shivering in a manger. Watching him gladdens me more than sweet water, fresh hay, or even my wondrous new blanket. I look into the baby's eyes, and I'm overwhelmed by love. I pull my treasure from my back and lay my gift carefully upon the child. He smiles, and my nose and whiskers tingle with joy. I'm happy to my toes, and even without my blanket, I feel warm. Beloved, most beauteous, and exalted king of all should be his name. Instead, they call him, can you guess? Jesus. The Humphrey story is just a made-up story, but it reminds us 
that though we have things we would consider important, though we have things that we might consider treasures, God calls us to lay all those things before Him in worship. Let's pray together. God, our Father, You call us to surrender to selflessness in the midst of a selfish world. And frankly, the way we celebrate Christmas in America could tend to make us selfish when we think about all the things we might get and what we asked for or hoped for. Yet, when we think about our life, how we live year-round, day-to-day, you call us to a worshipful lifestyle that is selfless and surrendered, that puts you first and others second, and us somewhere down the list. So, Father, I pray that through our story from Matthew of these wise men who took a great and costly journey, and even through our children's book about Humphrey of the camel who gave his treasured blanket, we would be reminded anew of sharing selflessly. So, Father, for those of us that are believers in Jesus, whatever we might need to surrender or confess today, would we do that freely before you? And, Father, if there's anyone here today who needs to trust Jesus as their Savior and Lord, would they do that today as we sing and worship in Jesus' name? Amen.